Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Pots Trickling. I'm your host, Schwinny Poon. This episode 271. I am joined by my good friend, Chris Percy Einan. He is a beat reporter for WFUV Sports. Chris, how are you doing? I'm good. Busy week um, on the road, you know, and then now the garden last night, but all positive happenings i would say besides you know Fordham women's basketball losing when i accompanied them to to umass um i would say i'm the the bad luck charm between the record of the home team at madison square garden when i'm covering games uh and my record at Fordham women basketball games when i'm working them but i will not as to not actualize that thought um, but yeah, for context there, if I ever go to a game, I never get to write or broadcast about the home arena being like a good environment because that team always loses. It's just like my curse. Uh, whatever it is, they lose. So there's that. The, the Chris curse. Uh, luckily, you did not curse them last night. Uh, and we're going to talk all about that. But before we get started, I have to make a few announcements. The first being that Strickland has an Instagram. Please subscribe to it. That is at the strick.land on Instagram. We are posting all kinds of new content on there. We also have a YouTube channel where you may or may not be watching this podcast. If you are watching it, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel if you're not already subscribed. That would be a huge help to us. Finally, the Strickland has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, this podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland mailbag that comes out every other week that is hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, along with Dallas Amico. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation quite literally never stops. There are further tiers. There's an $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. This comes with a variety of additional benefits like listening on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. Uh, so without further ado, let's get started. Uh, the Knicks... They split a weekend back-to-back. Uh, they lost in Philly on Friday night in a game that they were up for actually most of the game, um, but then just couldn't get it done in the fourth quarter. And then yesterday, in what ended up being kind it was a weird game. The Knicks were up what felt like comfortably for most of the first half, but because of their piss-poor ends to quarters, they were only up six at halftime. Then they come out uh, to start the third, and they were just they were dead. Um, but they were able to turn it around. And uh, ultimately, fourth quarter was kind of a seesaw thing. Uh, but the Knicks just with, you know, Jalen Brunson, his shot making down the stretch was incredible. Josh Hart, uh, newest acquisition, obviously uh, made a ton of big plays. R.J. Barrett 
uh, he turned it around after what was looking like a totally miserable effort in the first half. Um, so I guess, you know, I, let, let's just start with Josh Hart, because obviously he's the newest Nick. What did you think? I mean, I haven't really talked to you since um, since the trade deadline uh, in, in terms of just getting your thoughts on it. But, like, I mean, what did you think of, one, the move to get him, and then obviously what you saw of him last night? Yeah, I think, um, you know, as always in sports, there was a, a new coach or a new team bump there. Obviously, Hart came out with a desire to impress the New York fans. Um, after the game, he was asked, you know, if, if he kind of felt like he resonates with the New York fans because he brings to the table those, you know, margin things that they typically enjoy. Two offensive rebounds in one play, four steals, four assists. You know, like it, it just worked really well. Regardless of that potential, you know, first performance, first outing bump, uh, Hart's really good at basketball, and it seems like the Knicks plan to bring him off the bench and then potentially have him close games, depending on what happens. Um, I tried after the game asking head coach Tom Thibodeau about the Knicks view of the four players quickly Grimes Hart and Barrett I presented it as you guys may have four guys you're comfortable closing with the question was going to be is that going to be a game to game thing you know cuz I was going to say like with all with all of them being so good there's no way to predict who's going to go off each given night and it was going to be a very specific path to saying yeah we'll close with different guys whatever um, but because Thibodeau has been in this industry uh, for a year or two longer than myself, he knew where that question was going because I let it pretty obviously. <laughs> and he cut me off before I was able to ask it because Lord knows he does not want to speak to who he thinks he's going to close with. So um, I failed there. But y you think that with heart in the building now, um, there's a bit more... Obviously, the Knicks have lost a little bit of the, oh, every guy in the rotation is someone they drafted or someone that, okay, sure. But if you think about it from the perspective of they were going to have two to three first-round picks in this upcoming draft, they were never drafting with all of them, they were probably going to trade at least one. If you think that they were going to trade at least one and you accept that, and you understand it's how this front office works and it's what's going to happen. A lot of teams do the same thing, this, that, and the third. Um, then it, I think it does make a lot of sense to use it now and, and get the value out of the half season of Hart and then also, you know, potentially re-sign him. Um, I, I think that it just adds up to, to, to do this now. Uh, I was actually, you know, a little disappointed. I didn't see this coming a bit more um, because I think it makes a lot of sense for them to want the production now. I just suppose I didn't see them being so willing to move on from Nick Bride in the rotation. But I think, as we can say, is kind of a thing with this front office this season. Like the young players get a shot, right? Reddish had a shot to start the year. McBride got a shot. Sims is getting a shot. You know, I think everyone except for Trevor Keels pretty much 
and and uh, Jeffries are, are getting a shot on the court. It, it just and you know Makayik when he was on the team. I, I just think that these young guys that they say are important to them get minutes. So I don't think it's a war crime to to say you are a youth driven team and then deal a, a pick for a veteran um, when that veteran is on the younger side of things when he's got great synergy on and off the court with your most important player. Uh, and just when you see Hart play earlier this season, I covered Nick's Blazers, um, Jeremy Grant, career high, Josh Hart under the radar, career high 19 rebounds. So he came into the garden at like six foot five and a half and he got 19 boards. I, I just, that's who this guy is. He really showed it in the game yesterday. Um, and I think that he is, I, you know, I didn't peddle this narrative because there wasn't enough time to develop it, but I was going to do the whole, oh, he's going to be a fan favorite tomorrow kind of thing. And then it's already too late. Like I, I missed one game before starting that narrative and it's now too late because he has become a fan favorite probably already, uh, Four steals, four offensive rebounds, four assists in one game, along with seven rebounds total, 11 points. Like None of that hurts, right? He averages a made three, three taken per game. He went two for two to start yesterday's game. That's that new team boost I was talking about. But uh, regardless, say he missed one of those threes. You're looking at eight, seven, and four, four steals. That's why you traded for Josh Hart. He's a known quantity. I think the Knicks like dealing in known quantities, um, and he is a positive one. Clyde Frazier said on a broadcast he'd be coming off the bench. No one caught it. I didn't say anything. We had tried asking Tom Thibodeau, you can assume. Uh, and so we'll see, but I assume he'll come off the bench. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the price of the deal, I, I think they overpaid a little bit. I'm also okay with them overpaying a little bit. And so there, there's a few things that go into this. Like, do they overpay? Uh, I think so. I think they slightly overpaid for Josh Hart. Maybe it should have been like, you know, I think I'd feel better about it if it was, say, like a top 18 protected first that they sent out. But um, they overpaid. They want to make the playoffs this year. We know that. And I totally understand the people that think they shouldn't, that they should have just played it out. Um, instead of making an up, uh, a move for a player like Hart, who's 27, uh, at the expense of what could potentially be a first-round pick, obviously. Uh, I understand that that argument. What I will say is that at the end of the day, like whatever you want them to do is fair, but you also have to evaluate them based on what their choices are in terms of like how they've operated since they've come in. And they've made it very clear since they've come in they're not in this to tank. They're not trying to have, like, they, they want to win. They want to win games every year. They want to make the playoffs. They want to be a good team. Uh, and they think that has equity in terms of attracting players via free agency or trade or whatever it is, right? Um, so while I understand the argument for, like, we shouldn't have done it, I, I think once you understand what their mindset is, I think you understand why they did the move. Now, as I said, I think they overpaid a little bit. I think there's a few things that go into this. One, when you see the price for players that's going around, like I'm not sure that they really overpaid relative to market. Um, they base to me, it, it almost is like they overpaid 
they overpaid in the sense of like they overpaid to make sure that the their pick is not encumbered after the season. So if they make the playoffs, they don't make the playoffs. It doesn't matter. They can trade all their first moving forward. So they're still in the in the mix for any star trade that comes about. Um, the other part is you look at the price of players around the league. A guy like OG Ananobi, right? Uh, I mean, you reported this, and this was reported elsewhere also, but like, I mean, Toronto wanted two, three first plus a young player for him, like a good young player, not just like, oh, we'll toss you fucking Trevor Keels, right? Like, they wanted a good young player, a guy that has established himself. So what you're talking about is like, if the Knicks had wanted to pay the price for an OG Ananobi, they probably would have to pay two unprotected picks plus another protected one and a player of arguably what? I think they probably wanted somebody like quickly. The Knicks probably would have been okay with doing somebody like Toppin in that scenario, but they were never going to be okay with doing two unprotected picks. So, uh, and and quite frankly, as we've seen, the league said they're not comfortable making that that valuation or meeting that valuation for OG and Anobi. So you've got these crazy prices for various players. I mean, McCall Bridges apparently, you know, the Nets were offered four first round picks from him. They turned it down. Yeah. So. I- I think that what you saw happen and, you know, speaking of the Strickland, um, you guys had Prez tweet about this a little bit ago that no one's going to meet the price for OG and that the lesser guys value wise are going to fly off the, you know, the, the page, but slowly, but at, at the end of it, they'll have flown off and then you'll get to the summer and the OG price will have dropped. Not only because there's fewer years of team control, um, but because you started the negotiations at the deadline and you were like, hey, well, assuming no one outbids this best offer, we'll talk again in the summer and then no one outbid it. So um, it's kind of like a I, I hate these analogies. They feel like wrong. I don't know. It's the only way I know how to explain it. It's like if you're at a car dealership and you make an offer for a car and you're like, hey, I'll give you 53 for this. Uh, but you know, I know it's going for 80, like (laughs) 53 is what I've got. And they're like, listen, dude, this is in high demand. Like you are not getting this for 53. And you go go back like four months later and the car is like collecting cobwebs, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like spiders crawling. You're like, all right. So 40, right. (laughs) Like it's like that opens up that opportunity. Um, also something you said earlier, uh, since we're doing weird analogies that this just popped in my head, uh, you, the Knicks do have a weird quarter ending vibe. Um, but I, to, to me, like there's a statistic where the majority of car accidents happen within a mile of one of the person's homes. It's cause they like let their guard down and they know the path really well. Um, that's that vibe to me. Like the two threes at the end of the first quarter, that was not some defensive lapse from the Knicks. That was Rudy Gay hitting probably the toughest shot of the night. And then t- Taylor Horton Tucker hitting a half court shot. It-, it-, it wasn't some strategic meltdown. But what it was, was a lowering of the guard. It was a comfortability in the end of the quarter that frankly shouldn't be there. Yeah. I mean, look, the end of the quarter stuff. That that those two were crazy. Um, I didn't just. I don't know. I, I thought the. I agree that they, both those shots were crazy. Uh, but like, I didn't really understand why 
quickly was like pushing so fast in that scenario, which kind of created the opportunity for Horton Tucker to even get that insane shot. He made a great play. I mean, he he, he stripped quick, quickly clean, but um, but yeah, I mean, like I think going back to the to the price thing, like I, I'm a, I'm a little less. I'm a little less um, of the belief that the price for OG is going to come down meaningfully in the sense of like some, one of the reasons why it's hard to make in-season trades when, when you're talking about significant value going out is teams are reticent. Like if you're the Knicks, right, you would be a little bit reticent to trade a unprotected first round pick this year for OG, not because he's not good, but because you're like, well, there's a scenario where, Look, he's an injury-prone guy. Anything can happen. You you have a couple injuries. All of a sudden, you're giving up a, a lottery pick this year that's unprotected, and um, like that's a that's a risk. That's a big risk to take. So I think that's why when you hear like people talking about oh, a lot of these conversations, the trade deadline or to set up deals in the summer, it's so you have a better understanding of what the parameters might be, and then when you see how everything shakes out at the end of the season, you can make a pretty a more informed decision. Um, the other thing is like, so I mean, look, the Durant trade happened at one thirty or whatever the next morning, effectively. Uh, but like they next finalized the trade for heart at something like, I don't know, nine or 10 PM or whatever the fuck it was. Um, I have a suspicion. And, and then you also saw the Raptors make that portal trade before the Durant news broke. I have a suspicion that both of these decisions that the those teams made may have been influenced by the news that Durant was about like a Durant trade was imminent because I think there's a fear of like, okay, Durant's going to get traded. Now a team like Memphis, maybe they're going to jump in and they'll be more willing to meet the ask for Toronto. So let's not get screwed out of a price here. Let's not get screwed totally out of the market. Let's move on to a lesser target who we know we can get at a price that is fine. And let's move on. And like you see what Hart did. Like if Hart was OG Ananobi's size, he'd be considered a better player than OG Ananobi. That's like I, I truly believe that. Uh, but he's not OG Ananobi's size. Obviously, like obviously that that impacts things to an extent. But I think you saw yesterday that like one, yeah, is he a six five, six four, whatever guard, wing, whatever you want to call him? Sure. When you watch him play, does he feel like he's playing at that at that size? No, he plays above his size. He plays bigger than he is. And I, I don't remember who I had it back and forth with yesterday or a little bit uh, on Twitter, but like he's basically like a discount OG. Like all, and, and honestly, I think you can say, I, I'm, I feel comfortable saying this. I think he's actually a better fit in terms of skills for what the Knicks need than an OG and an OB is. He's a better defensive rebounder, he's a much more intuitive, quick decision maker and passer. And I think he's probably a little bit more dynamic as a slasher. So really, the one, the the two, the things that OG has is he's a better defender. Um, he's a more versatile defender, also given his size, and he's a better three point shooter. But like, I think the Knicks need that connective tissue a little bit more than they need other things. And you saw in the fourth quarter yesterday, like, yeah, obviously, you know, he makes a couple threes. That's great. He is making steals. He's getting on the ground. All that stuff is great. And not to diminish that at all. But I mean, not, of course, I wouldn't diminish that. But the main thing, and you saw this yesterday in that fourth quarter, like, because the Knicks, like, let's be real, this was a shootout yesterday, right? This was not like some 
you know, it wasn't like a defensive struggle. It was a shootout. And so any stop you got was at a premium. And there were multiple times the Knicks got stops yesterday in the fourth where you're watching it, the ball caroms off the glass, and you're like, oh, fuck, they're going to, like, oh, my God, Rudy Gay's right there, or whoever the fuck it is is right there. They're going to get the offensive rebound. And Hart comes in and just snatches that shit. And and the reason that stands out is, like, we know this. The Knicks have struggled. Look, one of their biggest issues in closing games out in the fourth quarter has been just ending possessions with defensive rebounds. And so when you see what Hart brings to the table um, in that game very specifically, obviously the one game sample size, so we don't – but I think it's safe to say based on his career, like, that's a huge ad. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence. Like, look, we can talk a little bit about RJ, too, who I think has really struggled this year to, like, find whatever the fuck it is that he's missing. But, like, you see him yesterday, and, yeah, the points that he put up in the second half are great, and it's really good to see him knock down a couple threes and whatever. But what stands out to me about his game yesterday in the fourth, he dove on the fucking ground for a loose ball. Like, I haven't seen RJ do that in a while. And, like, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think a guy like Josh Hart yeah. brings, like, he, he makes you increase your competitiveness. He makes so, you bring a higher level of compete. And I think, uh, I was reading in The Athletic anyway yesterday, uh, Billups said something like he he actually had to, like, not play him in practice or something because he was just like, I'm worried that you're going to, like like, go way too hard and we need you for seven o'clock, like the game tonight and not practice. Yeah. So I, one that's reminiscent of everybody's favorite Emmanuel quickly story, which is that he had to be locked out of Kentucky gyms. Like people always say uh, the Knicks don't have a type. They don't have a type. Um, well, they the don't players- have a, they don't have, no, the Knicks don't have a direction. Uh, they don't have a direction. They don't. Have, and, and honestly, how could we know what their direction is? How can we know what their plan is? If Leon Rose doesn't hold the press conference, well, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, I think that when you talk about the Knicks type, it's very obvious in my opinion. And I just think that people don't get it because they're not tuning into MSG before or after the game for the interviews. And the, re- I, I think, the reason I, people, I say that, is, is I think the, people don't get it because it's it's the Knicks. Like well, I, I the really... type, the type of player that they like is a high character player that, frankly, is psychopathically obsessed with improving his craft, whether he views it as a passion or as a job. Whether the player loves basketball or does not love basketball, they really love getting better at it, and whether it's pull-up shooting that they have in common, whether it's defensive switchability, I feel like there's a draft pick or two that kind of ruins that, right? Like, I feel like OB's kind of the outlier for their type. I feel like, it, but you know what OB does do? You know, <laughs> he is Mayor Toppin, as he's known. He's a beaming personality, um, and he loves improving. He lo- So to me, but, that, but that's you, the so type. I, I, and also, like, what you mentioned earlier, right? The Knicks like known quantities. I actually think Obi is, he's totally their type. He was a known quantity coming out of college, right? He's a guy yep. who dominated at the college level. They like guys that have produced. Like, they, they don't like, and this is why the Cam Reddish thing, which we'll also talk about, but, like, this is why it's so weird because he's such a deviation from 
from what they have generally targeted with draft picks or in trades or whatever is he he's a tools bet right cam reddish is not he doesn't have production that's that's not why you trade for cam reddish you trade for cam reddish because you're betting on upside you're betting on tools so that's a deviation because based on what they've done in the draft you look at quickly grimes obi shit even jericho sims who played what i think he played four years in college um all these guys they draft guys and deuce um like they draft guys with records of production even a guy like rokas right rokas was established as a solid player in in spain when they drafted him obviously he hasn't come over yet and and then like then i mean keels is the weird outlier but like he was also what the 42nd pick or whatever the fuck it was so it might have just been like hey let's just we this guy was a five star a year ago let's see what the fuck happens um but like they they definitely like guys that are to some degree known quantities, and I think they want guys who are going to come in on their rookie contracts and be able to produce. They like because the value of a rookie contract is you're getting production for cheap, so you want to maximize those years and not be be like in a situation where oh let's spend three years developing this toolsy guy, and then by the time he's actually good, now he's we're paying him and he's not like we're not getting any we're not really getting value here in terms of production relative to cost. So I think that is part of their type. And a, a guy like Hart, right? Like they also like guys they know. They 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 like guys they have connections with. You could go back and look at their first free agency, right? Alec Burks. That's a guy Johnny Bryant knows from Utah, that Walt Parrott knows from Utah. Right? You look at a guy like Austin Rivers, that's a guy that Tibbs has known literally forever. Um you look at you know, they bring back Alfred Payton, right? We hated that, but he's a guy they know. They know him in the building, right? There's no, we don't, we, we're not sure what his personality, no, they know him. Um, and, and you, they bring back Bullock. Like, you look at, like, what they've done, even when they've gone out and added players that, like, are from outside of the building a little bit. Evan Fournier, does he have any direct connection to the Knicks? Not really, but he's also a guy who played for years for Steve Clifford, who Tibbs is very close with. Um, Kemba is just, I think that was just a value. Like they were just like, let's take a swing and see what happens. But, um, I mean, Kemba was also a guy who played for Clifford. So I'm sure, and obviously everybody around the league knows Kemba. So it's not like that was some crazy thing. They like to bring in guys that they know. And even this off season, obviously Jalen Brunson, we don't need to explain what the connections are there. But then you look at a guy like Hartenstein, who, what is the connection? He's a CAA client. He's a guy that I'm sure they had all kinds of intel on. Tibbs knows Tyron Luke. Like, they know. So, like, I'm sure they had all kinds of intel on Isaiah Hartenstein. And now, like, I mean, to Hartenstein's credit, because he was, I thought he was pretty awful to start the season. Looks like he's getting his juice back uh, athletically. But, like, I mean, he looks really good. And, obviously, Brunton has been awesome. And so where I'm at with this team is, like, with the addition of Hart, who I think, Look, it's one game, so we can't say that. And he's not gonna, dude. He's not gonna have four fucking steals and hit every three. Like he's not gonna be this guy all the time. But he's gonna be a damn good player. And you look at this bench now that has three guys that are, I think, at least firmly good, like plus players, and quickly Hartenstein and Hart, um, and then Obi. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, he can turn around. He struggled for a couple games now, but like. You look at that, and then you look at the fucking starting lineup with when Mitch gets back. 
right? And, and it's like, if RJ can just stop being a fucking asshole half the time on defense, and if Grimes can remember that he's allowed to shoot threes, like, I mean, this team is a, they're not going to be fun to play against. And they're probably, I think they're much better, even without the true superstar or whatever that people want to say. I think they're a lot better than they get credit for. And I think this front office deserves a ton of credit for, you know, I've, I've seen this narrative and I want to get your thoughts on this. I've seen this get pushed around, right? Like, oh, the Knicks, the Knicks need a, you know, Leon Rose is brought in to bring in a superstar. He's brought in to bring a star. And like, I don't really understand that because one, I think you can argue that Jalen Brunson is playing like a star and that Randall is also playing like a star. Uh, <laughs> um, but like, I also think that's the dumbest reasoning. Like, no, they were brought in to be, to build a good team, to build a competitive roster. Yeah. I think the, the, it's a narrative that gets peddled. It's a, it's, I say peddled because every time someone says that it feels like they're actively trying to convince others to agree with them. Like it's feels like they're pressuring the team to try and like, like I like, look, I love they're they're never just getting, they're never just getting a takeoff. It's always, it's always, you know, Hey, this and this. And I feel like I was going to say, we're just real quick. Like I was going to say like, look, I love, I love Ian, obviously like Bagley is probably, he's, he is, let's just say he's one of the few guys in the beat that, um, He's he is. I don't um, angrily. Amazing. I don't angrily tweet at ever. Um, but like, but like he wrote this article after the deadline about you know the Knicks chose not, obviously not to like make a significant move. I kind of disagree with that, but I get what he's saying. Like they didn't push in a bunch of chips, right? Um, and he was talking about how like you know making a big move for OG or for Zach Levine would have maybe brought the type of star that like this front office was brought in to bring. And I just don't. I, I really don't understand that logic because it's like. Like it doesn't doesn't. What if they just brought like, what if they just had a team of ten robots that were all like extremely good but not stars? And they like would that be a problem? No. Like they're brought in to win games and be competitive and and be competitive in a way that you're that you're establishing something that's sustainable. And like I think the front office just actually deserves a lot of credit for like you look at how they've gone about building the roster and you know this like I killed them all off season for like not like bringing back Tibbs and Randall. Right. And I killed Randall. Like I, I wanted him off the team so I can hands up. I was wrong, but I think what this front office deserves credit for is they don't make, they don't rush into any decision and that has its downsides or, and it has its pluses. And I think what you see over the course of what, two and a half years, three years they've been in charge is like, look, look, go back to the first off season. Again, we're all sitting there like, Oh my God, just trade Randall, just trade Randall, take Nick Patum's expiring contract for two second round picks and call it a day. Like, they didn't do that, right? They want to really get information and, and really see how things play out. And they don't like selling on a deficit. Um, you know, obviously they've done it in a few situations that we know last summer. And I mean, last summer they found a way to do it creatively and net value in a way. Um, and then obviously with Reddish at this deadline, again, finding a way to use Reddish as a vehicle to upgrade your roster. Um, but like, they don't. They take their time, and I think what they really deserve credit for is like you look at how they've gone about it, right? It's like okay, first year they come in, the team's off to a better start than people thought, and they're like, okay, you know what? We're actually good, and we could be even better if we get a little bit more guard play. And you know what? Getting this guard play might benefit Emmanuel quickly. It might benefit an Obi Toppin because it'll lo- lessen their 
their kind of responsibilities, right? So they go get Derrick Rose at a cheap price. The next summer was their grand fuck up, right? As people like to portray it. But like they were trying to add shot creation. They were trying to alleviate the burden on Julius and RJ to an extent. It didn't work out. Okay. It didn't work. But did they, did, they, they owned that mistake and then they pivot and they're like, okay, you know what? We need to really get a true steady hand at the point. Let's go get Jalen Brunson. Obviously, we know the connections they have there, as I mentioned before. Let's go get Jalen Brunson. And I think the sneaky like weakness of last year's team was that backup center spot. And they go get Hartenstein. And Hartenstein obviously has struggled. He struggled for, what, the first 25, 30 games or whatever this year. But he's really picked it up lately. And now, like, I don't know about you, but again, I, I, I when Mitch gets back, like, what is the actual the weak spots of this rotation as things stand right now? To me, look like R.J. Barrett just like getting his head out of his ass, and Obi Toppin just kind of like getting back to what he was doing earlier in the season. Uh, he's obviously he's had a few good games since he got back, but like I- I'm still not that worried about him in that sense. But obviously, I-, I think he's dealing with some other shit too, in the sense of like I think he's aware that Tibbs is maybe not his biggest fan. Um, but like, I mean, they just have done a very calculated job of like being patient, addressing issues and taking their time. And like, I mean, this, like, I don't know about you, but this is why I didn't want them to rush into anything at the deadline because I'm like, you actually are good and you have, like, you should be picky now. This is the time to be picky that you can't just be like, just go get Zach Levine because He'll add something to the roster. No, like, don't just go get Zach Levine. Don't just go get OG Ananobi. Don't just go pay the price with you guys. Be be judicious. Be a fucking stingy motherfucker because your team is good. So adding pieces to a good team to improve that is a lot harder than where they have been than it's been really for the majority of the last two decades. Absolutely. Um for me, with this upcoming like processes for them regarding who to stay, who to trade, who to all that, it actively feels like from both the reporting on all the situations and also the non-reported or reported things I hear from the voices in my head, um, I think that they uh they care about what happens on the court and it like weighs into decisions that are made like the the the, the idea was we have to trade one of quickly or obi because if we get ananobi in 24 or i mean in 23 in the off season we can't afford to extend both of them in 24 so if we move one of them now that optimizes their value and then Quickly started playing really well after kind of being the one who was singled out as, hey, this guy is probably going to be dealt. And then the reporting was like, hey, so the Knicks are actually shutting down trade talks on Quickly. (laughs) And to me, it's like, wow, look at that. Like people think, oh, this team has no plan. This team has no direction. They're just freewheeling it and trying to get stars and they always fail. Okay, then. I think to that, I would say just three years ago, the Knicks were year in, year out, historically, and expected to be one of the worst teams in the NBA. They were expected to be uh, a gutter gatherer, a bottom dweller, 
you know, a trash compactor captain. Uh, the Knicks were bad. There was no, the Knicks will be bad. There was no, 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 no. The, the words were synonymous. The words were uh, uh, so intertwined that over the pandemic, uh, a Nick fan was, you know, enabled to tell a beautiful story for Pixar. And you know what he did with that opportunity? He took the chance to put in a joke about how his beloved Knicks can never win in the big moments. It, it It's a thing. It's known. It's historic. And yet in three years, their floor seems to be mediocrity and their ceiling seems to be, as Kendrick Perkins would say, to your credit, um, not many people giving the Knicks credit, but Perkins is, so I'll give him credit, that the Knicks are about a second round team if everything clicks uh, and, and looks good. Okay, well, if the floor is mediocre or kind of bad, and the ceiling is second floor, and you arrived there without spending any future draft picks, you're probably doing something right. Then, conversely, the complaint of Rose will be, oh, he has his plan and he sticks to it too much, and if someone becomes available for trade, he won't deal for them, and he needs to learn to just go get talent. And Okay, well... He signed Isaiah Hartenstein and drafted Emmanuel quickly and drafted Quentin Grimes. And he extended Julius Randle and extended RJ Barrett and he acquired Jalen Brunson and he extended Mitchell Robinson and he drafted Obi Top. Like, it's just this is very clearly a case of a, a president who has now made his mark on the roster. I, I, I think his first. And I think, I, think, I think to your point, like, he's open. Like, the biggest thing, right, is. is when he came in, he didn't just like immediately toss everything out, right? He wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to blow this up. This is my team now. Everything like, was yeah. evaluated fairly, and that goes yeah. as far as internally. I'm talking Scott Perry. Obviously, it's not this deep, but like the popcorn scoopers had a chance to, to prove themselves to Leon Rose before they moved in a different direction. Everyone in that building had a chance to stay. Do you know why? Because there is a chance that they are the best in the business at what they do. And that just to clean house for the sake of it, but okay, sometimes you need to make a statement. Sometimes you need to 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 make a statement. Sometimes, you know, with the pile of money burning in the background, you know, sometimes it's about the message. Um, but Scott Perry, winner of Survivor three years straight. I mean, um, listen, if I had to bet, if you could give me like, plus a thousand odds that Rosas gets his job by next year. I'll take him. Um, yeah, but he's been good for the Knicks in his role. It's almost like the Knicks saw what he was doing and we're like, yeah, okay, that's too much. You should not be running a team. How about we leverage your connections and love for athletic players and we let you be a brain in the room as well as, uh, you know, the, the, the bullpen pitcher we call up if if sacramento or detroit or orlando or, or or one of his former stops is on the phone everyone has a role in that front office everyone has a role on the team um i i asked Thibodeau about heart uh sorry i asked Thibodeau about randall's defensive communication uh because i you know it, it was pointed out to me during a game that uh, he was communicating really well with sims and i, I asked Thibodeau about it and he was like yeah well it's actually about the whole team communicating. I love when Julius communicates. Uh, you know, he's better when he communicates, and he communicates when he's better. Like when he's on top of his game, he's doing it. Um, but I, I, the whole team communicating. I want everyone talking is what he said. He's like, you know, I love when everyone talks. 
Uh, and I think for someone like, okay, again, maybe not this deep, but like the, the, the New York Knickerbockers place of business is, is a workplace and there are loud people and there are quiet people. And, you know, you kind of saw Josh Hart be a, a little bit of a, a star in the New York media light yesterday. Very ready for that. Um, he came right out. He even kind of stayed back to make a little off the cuff statement about yeah, I like I like that. I like that. That was like that was like a that kind of just it shows you the type of character you're getting, right? To just well, to stay back and be like, hey, thank you, Portland, effectively. I sure and I like that interpretation of it. But here's what actually happened. <laughs> um the Gary Payton situation mm-hmm. resulted in a lot of well, Portland was making me take Toradol shots before the game, and uh, I right, see. Right. Li- well, this is what my agent said. Listen to my agent. And the agent was like, he was taking shots before the game, and he was like, "Oh, see, I was taking shots before the game," and um, and then I um, I think that you look at just it, it t- to me, it's very everything's clicking everything's clicking heart fits it, it all fits um but with heart this statement it was very like wwe enter the ring and like hey here's my take on that situation um and the reason i say that is because of the the wording he used he said portland was a class organization probably three times um he didn't have anything prepared but when he did say something, it was a string of a couple words, as in like he had some notes of what he wanted to say, or someone shot him some notes. Um, and, and he also said specifically that Portland operates between the lines. That's a very odd quote. <laughs> like if Julius Randle got traded from the Knicks, and he did his first press conference or second press conference as uh, as a a maverick and he comes out and he goes by the way new york does everything by the book like they're really moral <laughs> that's weird right so that was hart throwing his himself into the wwe ring of this gary payton situation um and then in very wwe fashion just 30 minutes later payton was seen coming out of the tunnel with Lake of, it's like, all right, guys, you know, then, now, forever, like, yeah. let's, let's, all right. Um, yeah, I mean, I just the the heart stuff is. I mean, look, he he's he adds something to the mix that they were missing in terms of. I mean, you saw yesterday, like, I mean, just some of his the speed he plays at really brings an edge. Um, I think they they needed that. They needed a little kick in the ass. Not that this team has been complacent or anything like that, but like you always can use a little bit more juice. And he, you could see as soon as he came into the game in that first quarter, like all of a sudden the, the pace is just, you're going. And um, this is a team that obviously has struggled to like play with pace at times and, and really gets into these, these kind of like stuck. In, yeah. They get into these like stuck in mud stretches. Like you saw it at the start of the second half yesterday. They just couldn't. It yeah, happens. It happens when I broadcast. It happens when I podcast. <laughs> like when so I'm you. when I no. I'm saying when I'm working. If I have a three hour show, I'm doing color commentary for a game. There will be a stretch at the start of the second quarter, for example, where 
I'm kind of just there. And someone will make a layup and I'll be like, uh, you know, that's that's what she does when she just gets in the teeth of the defense and, and she's really good at uh, doing what she does. <laughs> and, and and a couple calls later, I'll like, oh, good morning. Like, whoa, like there's a basketball game going on right now and I'm at it. Like, hello. Um, whoa, like that's her, you know, like, like fired back up. Um, and, and it feels like the Knicks get into lulls. It feels like they get highway hypnosis driving down the highway and they, they you know, they stare at one thing for too long and they just kind of fall asleep at the wheel. Um, but Hart is that kick. Uh, I think Toppin and Quickly both have that quality in terms of their motor being contagious. I think, but I mean, Hart, quickly, quickly, quickly definitely does. Hart uh, is like a nuclear level threat of contagion. So, well, and I think, I think, quick, I think, not quickly, I think Hart, like, he is vocal. Like, I, that's what it, it comes across to me. Like, he, he's not a guy that's just like, like, look, quickly is awesome, but quick, and quickly is vocal, like, in terms of like directing where guys should go on defense and stuff like that. But he's not a guy who's going to like, challenge somebody right he's not gonna like come in and be like you fuck this up what the fuck are you doing like i think Hart might be that guy and i think the knicks need that character like that i think they they can use a player of that caliber and like what i really I, what i like about Hart is obviously he's not the same caliber of player as like a julius randall or jalen brunson but he's obviously played with both those guys like he, he you know he, he played with julius when they were both young young dudes in la uh and he obviously played with brunson in college but like he he's a peer to them, right? So, like, I think he can challenge them at times in ways that nobody else in the roster can, right? Like, RJ can't, Quickly can't, Obi can't, Hartenstein can't. Like, none of these guys can really challenge those guys. Not that, they're like, they need to be, because I think both dudes, especially, like, you know, I, I gotta say, like, Randall, his turnaround this year has been exceptional. But, like, not that those guys are lacking in terms of their motivation or anything like that, but everybody needs a kick in the ass sometimes, right? And so I think, like, he has that ability and it's different coming from a coach versus a player. So to have that type of player on your roster, I think is a really good thing. Um, and like, I, let's talk a little bit about RJ, but like, I think he's going to benefit RJ. I know there was a lot of like, there's a lot of weird stuff to like, of like, Oh, I think like heart, like heart could take his minutes and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, he might take some minutes and he should, because I don't need anybody on this team playing fucking 38 minutes a night or anything. But, like, he, I think he's going to push RJ because RJ is going to really, like, yeah, he's always had to earn his minutes to some extent. But, like, given the state of our roster prior, like, I love Deuce. Deuce wasn't consistently impacting the game. And so, like, you kind of had to play RJ. It was like, it was a choice, right? It's like, you have two, you have three guys, RJ quickly. Grimes that can play at the two and the three. And let's be real. If you play quickly in Grimes in certain matchups or quickly, like you're undersized and, and you're giving up some elements of the game in terms of rebounding, you know, whatever. Hart brings you a, a, an ability to like, he, he, he doesn't give you the ability to relax as a, as a player competing for a minute at his position because he's going to be playing at 150% every fucking night. Yeah, he he's a he's a jetpack guy. Like that he just has one strapped to his like ankles at all times. Like he um is always flying around the court. By the way, I don't know if you saw 2 minutes ago Mr. Sharanya 
the NBA has received a complaint from the Warriors against the Portland Trailblazers, and the league has launched a review of potential misleading by the Blazers. Ooh. So, um, yeah, jo- Josh Hart was just being a good guy. No, he was just he was just getting takes off about how he loves Joe Cronin. <laughs> Cronin operates between the lines, and that's a normal thing to say when you're saying goodbye to some. Bye, Schwinn. I always thought you operated between the lines. You know, well, like, you, would, you would never say that because I don't. I would not. <laughs> uh, which is what makes it so odd, right? So uh, anyway, you know, you talk about this Nick team. Um, I had a take a couple months back that I didn't put out there because uh, I wanted to see how it stood the test of time. And I'm not trying to, you know, cue the LeBron meme of like, oh, you know, I told Josh Hart he was getting four steals last night. But like um, I said to myself and a, and a couple friends that I discussed this stuff with um, that if the Knicks make an upgrade at the deadline and I was thinking more along the lines of a Gary Trent, but I would say this is that kind of acquisition for them. Frankly, uh, I think that Trent is really good. I think that he's really good at things that the Knicks are going to need eventually from their star talent. And that, like, I don't know. They don't, like, people complain about quickly if he shoots too much off the bench. But Gary Trent is going to be Jesus. I I don't know. It just, anyway, (laughs) Um, with that upgrade at the deadline, that the Knicks could make it to the conference finals, depending on how the seeding goes. The Atlanta Hawks just made it a couple years back because the seeding played out well for them. Um, you know, I, I think the Knicks can uh, beat a team like Cleveland in the first round. I think the Knicks can get, a, you know, say say they get uh, a, a team in the second round, such as who? What what would what would shake out right? Miami. You know, like if Cleveland and Miami are the two teams they play, if that's even possible on the bracket, can they win both of those series? Yes. I I don't think they will. I'd see Miami, you know, maybe knocking the team off with with some turned up playoff ball or uh, if Donovan Mitchell goes off. Like they could lose one of those two series and that's all it takes. Right. But to me, it's also possible that they make the Eastern Conference finals this season. Um, and, and when you take a step back and look at what Rose has done, which is get them in this position without mortgaging the future, I think you have to be optimistic about this team's future, given how smart they've been with the capital that they've used and how much assets, how, how much asset capital they have left. Like it's a ludicrous amount of draft picks and talented young players. And now the young players are worth more because they played them. So that all adds up really nicely for them. I I think that Tom Thibodeau reached a point where it kind of got to, hey, coach, the coach Tibbs, you're going to take these suggestions and you're going to implement them. And he was like, well, what if I don't? And they were like, hey, check this out. Like, get get me him. Yeah, him. Put him in the bathroom. You know, like, it, it was just kind of like, you're going to do this. And he was like, okay. Um, now, the NBA head coaches have gone on well, podcasts. It's funny, it's, funny, it's funny you say that because when that right. happened, right, so the Knicks were 10 and 13. 
and uh, that's when these rotation changes happen, right? What I thought was really interesting, and I, I, I mentioned it at the time, was before, so like they played that Mavericks game, they get fucking wiped out at home. And then they play the, um, you know, the, then they beat the Cavs at home. So they go 11 and 13. That's the night that Tibbs made the change, right? Renish out of the rotation, who apparently we should all cry about constantly. And uh, Deuce McBride comes in for him. And the next day, I don't know if you remember this, but like Begley had a report of like, oh, uh, you know, they won't make a decision to fire Tibbs hastily. You know, he's in, immensely loyal to Tibbs. That was the verbiage I think he used. And I always thought that was interesting because I'm like, that sounds like a very much like a quid pro quo. Like, hey, Tom, listen, this is what you're going to do, bud. And if you do that, I'm going to talk about how much I love you and how safe your job is and how I'm so loyal to you. And that's what that like. And that's how it felt to me. So I agree with you. Like, I, I don't think Tibbs just independently arrived at the right conclusions, which is not necessarily a criticism of him in this like i would yeah do i wish he had i don't think that leon rose would mind if the public perception were in the face of adversity he believed in his coach and he was rewarded right and 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 i think like i don't think it's a knock on tibbs or it's i don't mean to say this it's not a criticism that he took on board advice from others to make the right decisions that's actually good fucking management that's that's what you should do um but, like, do I wish he had done it sooner? Sure, all that stuff exists. But I think to your point, like, this is not just, like, Tibbs arriving at the the, the right answers all on his own. And and actually, lately, I think, I don't know if you, I, I'm actually curious to get a thought on this. I saw against the Clippers last Saturday, or was that, that was last Saturday, right? Um, like, towards the end of the game, he was, it seemed like he was taking a lot of, Johnny Bryant was very much in his ear and it seemed like he was taking on board advice. I've noticed that a bit more since then that like Johnny Bryant seems to be in his ear a lot. And it seems like he's having, you know, he's influencing some of these decisions that Tim is making down the stretch of the game. Like you saw in Orlando. I don't know if you remember this and actually a good friend of the pod, Larry Israel brought this up, but like at the, at the, uh, when they were shooting the free throws, at the end Bancaros, they're down three with like six seconds left, whatever the fuck it is. So he makes the first one. They got to miss the second one, right? So they bring in, you know, all their big guys. Like Isaac comes in, fucking whatever, all their centers, all that shit. Tibbs brings in, he brought Sims back in because Sims was out because it was a free throw situation, the possession before. Sims comes back in and they brought in Isaac late and he was like not going to do anything. And you see Johnny Bryant, if you look back, watch the entire game, you'll see Johnny Bryant point to Hartenstein, tell him to get up, and then he goes to Tibbs and is like, fucking get Hart in there, basically. And so I'm just wondering, like, do you see, like, you've been at games, obviously, throughout the season. Is that something you, like, do you feel like Johnny Bryant maybe is getting a little bit more influence with Tibbs? I think that the two were an arranged marriage. I think that they had no relationship before working together on the Knicks. And I think that now that things are going well this year in general, they are clicking in regards to Bryant really has a rapport with a lot of these guys on the team. Randall, he is talk to it, right? The, the Mike Woodson, you know, of, of was this. that you that asked that question about Rand- to Randall, by the way, about Johnny Bryant? No, I, I, Slackin', I asked, slacking, slacking, pal. 
wasn't at, I wasn't at that game. I asked Randall about um, the the you know like what he thinks about Mitchell Robinson, and that's where we got the hit from MSG about like the summer workout. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, one, I was talking to one of the guys on the beat. They're like, "Yeah, every once in a while, they they think we do a good job." You know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> they, they they steal one they steal one of our questions and then like re ask it to them for a video. You know, yeah. like it's yeah. like <laughs> um, so basically. Uh, I, you know, here, I, I only know how to explain this anecdotally, if that makes sense. Like in basketball games, it's kind of ranked by proximity to the head coach versus the end of the bench, you know, like the top assistant's obviously going to be right next to the end. And, um, you know, like here at Fordham and Rose Hill, you have your end of bench developmental guys, uh, but even like one of our top assistants will sit at the end of the bench and like just get that perspective and be there. Like it's it's this like very familial like, hey, we're all in this. Like I'm gonna hang out with everyone, even the kids that don't play, coach them up and stuff like that. Um, Johnny Bryant is always all over the place, and now I feel like this season you've seen more of like. Yes, he's always been next to Tibbs, but now when there's a dead ball, he'll go argue with the ref. <laughs> like like Brian and Tibbs kind of walk up together to like, argue with the ref now. And and there was um, a call yesterday where Tibbs is looking at the ref with his arms up, like what what do we need to do or what are you doing? You know, whatever it is he was saying. And I, he said what and something. You know, so uh, <laughs> and. Uh, Bryant comes over and immediately is bartering with the referee and talking. He's like pointing. He's like, yeah, but, the, but, the, but the, you know, like yeah. uh, he's the associate head coach. I think let's put it this way. The last couple years, he was the top assistant and it was a f- arranged marriage this year. He is Tom Thibodeau's associate head coach. Um, that means that he is more than just an assistant because he is paid and titled like so. He is more than an assistant. He is really the his title is Tibbs right hand man because everyone knows Tibbs signs off. He has final say, right? But Johnny does right under him. And and, and when you look at before the game, you know who who Bryant works with. Um, yesterday, you know Rick Brunson shooting around with Josh Hart. Like each each coach kind of has their guys that they shoot around with. Um, Hartenstein, Scott King, uh, Evan Fortier, Greer, uh, Grimes, Darren Ehrman. Before every game, Grimes is with Ehrman. And Brunson was with Brunson, usually. But yesterday, Brunson was with Hart. Um, and Johnny Bryant's guys are RJ and Julius. Like, it's like very, <laughs> it's like very clear what he's here to do. It's to help the guys who get the ball in their hand be better with having the ball in their hand. He, he's always working with quickly before games, too. Yeah. So, so I, I was more talking about like, like, uh, the one on one warm up, yeah. but like when the guys come in for extracurricular warm ups, yes, Bryant works with them too because they want to work with him. Yeah. So, uh, it's very much a thing of like, you know, Ehrman will work with Quentin and you'll hear him like, hey, release higher, pat, next pass. Hey, release higher. You know, like little shot tips and things like that. Um, Bryant is very like, I'm not trying to be crazy, but this is the only way in my youth that I know how to, 
how to make this point. Bryant has like a very Phil Jackson, like you're going to coach yourself and I'm just kind of going to watch it happen. Like vibe to him. That's like, I'm going to impart the knowledge and you're going to figure it all the hell out and put it all together. But I'm, yeah, like Yoda, like I'm going to be behind the scenes in the force, like telling you how to do it, but you have to make this happen for yourself. Like he'll go with Randall before the game and he'll do run throughs of finishes through contact just in walking motion, just to work on Randall's footwork. And then after that, they will talk together for like two minutes and Brian will be feverishly uh, describing something. And But it's always like very chill. It's always very chill. Like you can just tell they go to him. He knows what he's talking about. He's a he's someone they lean on and they, they feel comfortable being able to lean on. Um, and I think it says a lot that every you know player has a coach and and he's got RJ and Julius and quickly before games. Like it, it, it's very in line with who he is and what his role is on the team, which is to be the associate head coach. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I. Look, the, the credentials he had coming in were, I don't want to say beyond reproach, but like you're talking about a guy who Damian Lillard swore by, right? Donovan Mitchell swears by. And obviously well, he, was, he played he played Utah yesterday. So there were yeah. plenty of midcourt reunions. Um, Jordan Clarkson specifically was a player that, that made sure to spend a lot of time reuniting with Bryant. It was, um, it was like, it was a funny game in the sense like it's, I actually, I always forget this, but like, that Lakers team before LeBron got there, there's all these guys that like went like they're all all over the league. But like it was funny seeing like Clarkson, uh, like Hart when he went to the free throw line. Hart, the first Hart time. Randall, and Clarkson. Yeah, yeah. like well, the first time Hart went to the free throw line, he he missed his first free throw, and you see like Clarkson come up to him and say whisper something in his ear after, and it was like I mean they're joking. Like you see Hart like laugh, like he's like get the fuck out of here, come on. But it's 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 funny. You like forget that, but like. Yeah, you know, it was it was a it's just a funny game where it's you're, like you're getting old, man. The kid, yeah. the kid Lakers are now like thirty. Yeah, <laughs> Clarkson's like 28. twenty eight. What is he like? I think 30? Clarkson's older than that. I think Clarkson he, might be in his thirties already. I thought he was like twenty nine, and that may have been being nice. Maybe, um, maybe. I know Randall Hart. You know they okay. So yeah. Clarkson's thirty. I know Randall Hart like that group is like the yeah. 20 the 28 27 and then you got bi but um Bonzo, it, yeah yeah all it's crazy to think it's crazy to think how much of kids like bi and lonzo were on that team yeah yeah and now think about like ingram is one of the guys in new orleans it's, it's very cool to see and i guess uh unfortunate for laker fans but it has to be cool to see Ingram be a Pelicans All Star and Randall be a Knicks All Star and you Clarkson know Clarkson Six Man of the Year Clarkson Six Man of the Year um, D'Lo was D'Angelo Russell I was gonna say D'Angelo Russell and leave it at that <laughs> but like I mean like I, I like shitting on D'Lo but like you know he's 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 a good player like he's not like I, some bum right I I was, I was told to describe the Lakers deadline I said I thought they added three good basketball players and that's yeah. like good for them so. Yeah, I, I mean, you, know, like, you saw it yesterday. There was value to like, yeah, we actually have like more NBA players now. This might be a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the, the Lakers aren't going to save the world, but I don't think the Kings are either. They're just teams you don't want to see in the first round. I, yeah. I think those teams are allowed to be fun. I think the Knicks are a team that no one is scared of 
in the NBA Finals. If you are playing the New York Knicks in the NBA Finals, you probably feel really good about your shot of winning it. If you're in the Eastern Conference Finals, you're playing. Also, this everybody team. in the East may have died. Died. Uh, if, it, yeah. um, if, you, if you're if you're in the Eastern Conference Finals, that means you know 13 teams, you know, <laughs> caught whatever. Um, but like, if you're in the first round against the New York Knicks, do you if you if you're the Cavs, if you are the Heat, if you are the Indiana Pacers, and you are going into the first round of the NBA playoffs, and you go up against Brunson, Randall, Barrett, Robinson, quickly Grimes, Hart. Hartenstein topping. Like, that's not fun. And there's a physicality they play with that's just brutal. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but before we go on, the action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlay spreads, money lines, over, unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, make your first deposit, and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Um, I want to talk a little bit about RJ Barrett. Uh, RJ, like, I, I, real quick, to go back to what you said. The Knicks, I think when, the best way to describe them, and we've heard multiple coaches describe them as like, physicality, right? Like Julius Randle is a physical player. Mitchell Robinson, when he's back, he's been described multiple times by opposing coaches, like, name-checked really often is like the first guy they mentioned, because they're just like, this guy is an offensive rebounding machine. R.J. Barrett's obviously a physical driver. Jalen Brunson makes scoring of, you know, he's yes, he's very crafty, he's also extremely strong and physical. Uh, now you're adding Josh Hart into this team. Quentin Grimes is another guy who's physical. Like there, there's a toughness and a physicality to the way the Knicks play that's real. Um, I want to talk about RJ Barrett though. He's obviously had a topsy turvy season. It was really nice to see him uh, bounce back in the second half yesterday, especially given one. I mean, his fourth quarter against Philadelphia was brutal. I thought I mean, he was really, really poor. Yesterday he had a good fourth quarter. He had a good second half, um, but he struggled to find consistency, both, um, you know, uh, <laughs> he struggled to find consistency, both offensively and defensively. Defensively, he's just been a mess all season. I mean, I, I'm not at the point of, like, I've seen people really talk about, like, okay, we got to move this guy, get off his contract, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I'm not at that point. I'm still very much of the belief that, like, he just needs to get his head out of his ass, and that happens with young players sometimes. That's not to make an excuse for him. He's had a bad season. Um, but, like, uh, where are you with RJ? Are you concerned? Are you not concerned? Like, what are you seeing with him in terms of how he's playing? Like, I mean, do you, do you, do you, the defense, like, what what is going on with him there? Like, what, do you, what are you seeing with him? I, I think we're seeing... 
struggles. Really hot take there. Um, I, I'm trying to be honest. You know, I, I can I can get on the mic and lie and be like, oh, you know, what's happening with Barrett? Is trying to think through it, and and I've done this a lot because it's my job. But I, thinking, you know, thinking is good. Thinking is good. Good job, Chris. <laughs> you're, you're like eight seconds removed from struggling with reading a a, a pre written. Okay. Well, do you want to know why? Do you want to know why? Okay. So I. They give you like they they send us like you know updated different yeah servers like so this one that they sent it's for like the summer which is why it made no sense to me so I double check whether <laughs> I was doing the right one it's like especially this summer and they're talking about fucking baseball and I'm like who the fuck cares about baseball right now what are we talking about here it's fucking NBA season it's Super Bowl day like come on <laughs> it's a, it is the morning of the Super Bowl yeah, yeah. Oh, if you like betting <laughs> so, spring trading is soon. <laughs> um so I I think we're seeing RJ Barrett struggle and, and there's context to these struggles surprised um <laughs> you know I think that you can lay out some facts and whether you like them or not, whether they make sense or not, and whether they're good or not. Um, I think they connect the dots. Uh, RJ Barrett has struggled several times in his tenure as a New York Nick. Do we agree? Yes. These struggles come in bunches, in slumps, in real lulls, in, in, molasses dipped foot uh tunnel vision stricken eye like eight game 12 game like it, it's it's a real slump right there's never like hey over these 30 games he was kind of bad it was like no like he was the worst player in the nba these 12 games and then he was an all-star in the next four and then right would you also agree there that it's kind of streaky it's kind of yeah yeah, he's he's been really streaky. Like, it doesn't feel like. I mean, yesterday's a perfect example, right? The first half, this guy looks like a fucking basket case. He couldn't do shit. The second half, he comes out. All of a sudden, he's slashing at the rim. He's making good reads at the rim. Like he, he. It's just, it's a tough. It's it's been a brutal season for him. And it's like, even look, he's had this 35, 33 game, whatever the fuck it is, a, a long stretch of games here where he's actually been fairly efficient offensively. But even within that, it doesn't feel like. It's there's a continuous surge, right? Like, like with quickly, quickly, we've seen, I think, for like honestly, for like the last two months, it feels like it's a consistent surge, right? It's like every game you're getting kind of what you expect from him. Whereas with RJ, it's like, yeah, it's just like a fucking roller coaster constantly, and and right, but it's never staticky, it's never sharp, it's always like easing or you know i I think another true statement is i I think i think this is the best way to describe it is like you see the like to me he has demonstrated this year that like his higher level his highest level is higher than it has been in the past right but like he can't he doesn't get there often enough and then you have these games like i mean they're just games and stretches where you're just like what the fuck is going on with you man like what was it, like two games ago? He what was it? He like he was like oh of eleven from three for two straight games, and you're like, and it's not like this is a guy taking a bunch of like difficult off the dribble threes, right? It's like you're getting open catch and shoot jumpers. Like I need you to cash in on this at some point, but like right, like you're, you're like I think what what I'm what I see. I'll just throw this back to you. Last year, 
uh, Emmanuel quickly really struggled for a good portion of the middle third of the season. And I thought he was pressing. I thought that he was playing, like he was not playing instinctively. He was not playing intuitively. He was overthinking things and you could kind of see it in his play on the court offensively anyway. Um, defensively, I've never had a problem with quick. I've always thought he, he gives you everything he's got on that end. He obviously he's taken it to another level this year, but I didn't have that problem with him at all last year. Like I, I and that's why I never, like, even when he was shooting like shit, I was just like, I don't care. The team keeps like playing fine when he's on the floor. Like just le- let him, let him go through it. It's fine. And I think RJ is going through it right now. Like, I don't know why. I don't know what triggered it. I don't know what it is. But I do think he's going through something where, like, you can see it. I mean, I don't know. Do you remember that three he banked in against Orlando? Like, yeah. when, he, when he caught that, he was wide the fuck open, right? He kind of fumbled the pass a little bit. And it almost looked like he, he was like, oh, should I shoot this? And then he's like, okay, I'm wide open. I have to shoot this. Gets lucky, right? Banks in the three. But it's like, it was a very unsure shot. And it's like, how are you unsure of what to do there, right? Like, just shoot the fucking shot. And I think Grimes is going through this a, a same, a similar thing right now too. And, and so, like, I, I think with RJ, it's obviously more pronounced because he is a higher usage player. So when he's going through it, like, it fucks you in a lot of ways, and it sinks the team. And and the difference between him and Quickly is like, I think when Quickly is struggling offensively, he'll never let it affect his defense. He'll never let it affect other pieces of his game, like when he's scoring poorly. RJ's letting the offensive struggles impact other areas, other areas of his game, and that to me is what actually pisses me off. Whereas, like, I can deal with the figuring out your scoring and struggles there. Like, I, I'm okay with that. I, 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 I accept that. Like, a 22 year old on high usage who isn't like you know, look, there are guys that come in and they're just like, star, right? Like, Bunkero comes in and he's like. I'm an efficient scorer. Like, guess what, guys? Like, I, I just do this. Like, RJ's not that guy. He, he's not that level of a talent. And that's okay. That's not, like, a criticism. That's just a reality. But, like, he just, like, he, he's going through an off. Like, he's figuring out, okay, I've gotten better at certain things. How do I actually turn that into being a better player? And I'm okay with that. I just need him to get his head out of his ass when it comes to, like, like, use your physicality on defense to some degree. Like, use, like, box out. Go get me a contested rebound. And we saw some of that yesterday, which was really good to see. But, like, it can't be one game and then we get two games of bullshit and then three games of good play. And we need, I, I like, we really need, and not, not just we as fans, but, like, the team. Like, if this guy gets back to what he did as a second-year player, just in terms of his defensive effort, and that type of shit on top of the offensive improvements that I think he has made, like he's going to elevate the team and, and really like he's got this, what last, however many games this is, uh, the Knicks are what they're 31 and 27. So he's got 24 more games left in the season. I think this is like a really big stretch for him as a, as a, as a pro, not to say like, if he struggles, like he's done forever, but this is like a stretch for him to really knuckle down and be like, okay, I have not had a good season. The team is still in position to to do to have to not not just to make some noise, but like to have a good season. This this team is in position to like make to clinch an automatic playoff berth, avoid the plan altogether. He's a big. He's got to be a big piece of that, and like he's in position to do that. It, this is a big stretch for him. So like, I mean, to to go back to what I was saying, like when he like the, his issues right now, do you kind of feel like do you do you get what I'm saying? Like he's 
yeah, seems so, to be the same thing with like that quickly was going through last year. What I what I was gonna add there too was like another true statement is that with Barrett, another true you know thing to point out is um what I was gonna say is with Barrett, another true thing to point out is basically you have this these trends that he establishes right but um you look at him when he's on and you see what works and you see him almost because i think the feel is low naturally try like desperately to recreate those successes specifically like if if a move works for him, he'll go to it over the next couple games, and then it fades out. Someone, not you know, like he's very, um, he's always been like very kind of robotic. He plays stiff. That he is a good player. Um, he is a good player, and when you, and when you look at him and the 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 slumps, it's really hard to hear that and be like, yes. Because he looks bad, and it looks like he doesn't want to be good. It looks like he doesn't. Do you understand what I he's mean? Not, there, he, he's not. He doesn't make the extra effort. Like, look okay, again, yeah, I'm not like, trying to say he. Doesn't. I know. I know exactly what you're saying. It's it's like, like he's not gonna like, we, like that's why it was so good to see him die for a loose ball yesterday. Because you're like, like when you're in a slump, there's like you don't need to just shoot your way out of it. There's other. The best way to put, put it is like, wait, like Tibbs says says this right, but like. You can play well without shooting well. And with RJ right now, it feels like he doesn't get that. It, it feels like so many times you're watching him play, and it's like he's so focused on, like, I got to get my scoring right. I got to, like, and you're like, okay, that I, you do. But also, like, you can help us win ball games even while you're struggling to figure that shit out. So do that. And, like, I, like, look, Julius, uh, I mean, it's, it's so funny. He had a 31 point game yesterday. And it's like, it's so funny for him to have these games now where I'm like, kind of don't even think he played that well yesterday. But like, he, he like, you know, 31 points, 26 shots, not the most efficient night. But like, it's just, it's it's funny. But like, Julius is an example of this where the reason why, why I think this most recent stretch by the last five, six, seven games has been maybe his most impressive is like, I don't think he's even scored that great in these games. But like, he's so obviously giving you value because He's go- he's getting contested rebounds, you know. He's playing good defense. I mean, his fourth quarter last weekend against the Clippers, like that, the defense he was playing was unreal. I mean, absolutely unreal. So, like, that is what RJ needs to figure out. Is like, hey man, we need you, and we need you in all the ways that you can help, not just as a scorer. Yeah, and to me, RJ can help in those other ways. Yeah, and he has, but he doesn't consistently. Um, and, and you know what I was saying was like, I, if, maybe it's because the feel is generally low that he is kind of robotic. But like, it feels like he tries so hard to be successful that he'll never do it. You know, like if you try so hard, go if you go into a podcast, oh, I'm gonna kill this podcast, and before every point you make, you think to yourself like. Oh, is this the best way I can say this? 
should I even talk? Should I even talk now? I'm, you know what? No, I'm just going to let it know. It's better air if I don't talk. Oh, no, I can't go silent. I got to talk. Wait, what was I going to say? Ah, shit. And you get in your own head and you start making stupid decisions because you realize at some point you just need to do something. Um, and, And you're in a business where you're live and things are happening live and there's live action. And if you're not doing anything, you go invisible. And being invisible is really bad. Dead air is really bad. Um, And I think that RJ can go invisible on the court, um, except for if the shooting is so bad that he actively shoots himself onto the bench, in which case it's very visible. You know, I, I, I think that he is closer than people think to being right there. I think everything he needs to be right there is within him. I also think that he needs to majorly sit down and review more film and feel more comfortable in who he is. Because honestly, I don't know that RJ understands how good he is. I think he understands that he's good at basketball and I'm not sure he gets like what exactly to do to replicate those successes. Cause when he gets going right and if things are working for him, they work like hell. Like, he really rolls and he really impacts a game and he'll really be an offensive force. It feels like the Knicks kind of have to get two points because the Barrett is going to take it to the rim. And, and, and it's just to see the stark difference when he's not as confident. I really think he needs to review what works for him and add a thing or two to the arsenal that he's comfortable with in regards to shot creation. Um, it's, work with Brunson on footwork. He he need he should do that, uh, and and I think just be more confident in how good he is because he is a really good player, and he doesn't play like it at times. And I'm not saying that to say that he's bad. Sometimes it ends up in him being bad, but he plays like he's not that good. Do you get what I mean? Like he mm-hmm. plays like, uh, I, you know what? I take a lot of shots, yeah, but I'm just gonna this game. They're just gonna come from the corner. I, I really, I'm not feeling myself tonight. They got a big guy in the paint. Like, nah, bro. Last year, RJ was going up on AD and Mobley and Gobert and these guys that are like vaunted defenders across the league. He was finishing through contact at the rim, maybe even getting an and one. He did this a lot last year. You know, he he needs to get back to that. I'm not saying that Barrett needs to do anything that he hasn't already done before. And I think that's a big discrepancy with the discourse around him. A lot of people are focused on what he he doesn't do, what he can't do offensively. And they think that adding that to his arsenal will be this uh, cure-all remedy. I, I think that just getting and sticking to what he's already good at may not be the worst idea. Yeah, I mean, I think if, think what you're basically saying is like the frustration I think that a lot of fans are having is we've seen him do things like we've seen him do the things that he's not doing right now in the NBA and those things have helped him previously be successful so it's frustrating when he's not doing that shit anymore um and I I get that 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 happens like that when you are a young player and you want you want to get more touches on the ball right you want to be a offensive player look he's on a contract i understand like people will always the discourse around the contract dude, is so stupid it's like dude four years 107 million is basically nothing in nba parlance that's like a starter salary so um but like he wants to be an all-star like he wants to be all of these things he wants to be one of the the premier wings in the league all this type of shit right 
doing that requires scoring and scoring well and all this shit. So I think like he's so focused on that, it's taken away from other pieces of his game. I do think he can get back to it. I'm not. I'm still holding out plenty of hope for him. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's obviously hard, especially when you see a guy like quickly who's just played so well this year. And obviously, him and Barrett have kind of weirdly shared minutes at the same position in a way. So it's just hard um, to to be patient at all times. But like, yeah, I mean, look, he, he's he's going through it, and you, I think. Do we need like you know? Do we need to trade him right now? No, we don't need to trade him right now. I wouldn't trade him right now, but the team is this is this is where it gets tricky. The team is really good. They're on a forty-nine win pace since they made the rotation changes. Um, that's pretty damn good. Julius Randle's twenty-eight. It's not super old, but it's old enough where you're like, if you're committed to him, then you need to start trying to optimize, maximize winning during that time period of his career where he's going to be this level of player, potentially. And RJ right now is like, look, I hate to say it, but he's been a, he's been a hindrance this year. He's not. It, it seems like he's on a different timeline from potentially the rest of the team. Now, I do think this is of no fault of his own. And the reason I say that is because everyone knows the number one thing that accelerates a rebuild is hitting on draft picks. Everyone also knows that I personally have been very loud and public about saying that R.J. Barrett will not look like a star in the NBA until the fifth year of his contract, where he will then the fifth year of his career. I was going to say, Chris, we've been for fifth years contract. We're going to be bringing up problems, bro. You might, you <laughs> might, you might be full gray at that point. Um, so. Basically, the fifth year of his career, he will start to look like a star. That's the developmental path I kind of viewed him as being on in year one and year two. Um, and, and and when you take that path with the fact that the Knicks got quickly and Grimes at the 25th pick each, it's really hard because you can argue that two things can be true. Number one, let me exaggerate here for purposes number one rj barrett will be a perennial lock in the all-star game okay now that's an exaggeration on what i believe but say that that's thing number one that can be true you can believe that and also think that it makes sense for the knicks to utilize him in an ananobi deal if it means that they don't give up any draft capital or they give up a protected pick or whatever it is like there is an argument that using him for that kind of value, the same way that Cam Reddish can be a good player somewhere, but it was smart of the Knicks to use him in the heart trade. Like, yeah, I mean, he was he was done in New York. It's right. It's so not, these these things were he's just like yeah, and it's, RJ it's, yeah. RJ has to keep up with the the tide here, and if he doesn't, he's going to be just fine somewhere else where he'll get the ball, be able to do what he needs, have a bunch of fans, sell a bunch of jerseys. Um, but I do think he'd like to make it work in New York, and I think he knows he needs to be better. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's just like, look, players develop at different rates. They need different things at different points in their career. Uh, you mentioned Cam Reddish. <laughs> There's been a lot of people talking about, like, this is like a, such a failure of the organization to maximize him, the, the draft pick they traded. And I get it. I do think it's an organizational failure, misstep, mistake, whatever you want to phrase it. 
in terms of the actual trade to get Cam Reddish, because it's very obvious they were not on the same page as Tibbs. That Tibbs didn't want him. Uh, I thought it was very. I think it was very notable. I think Stefan Bondi mentioned that Tibbs wanted Hart at last year's trade deadline. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that he never took kindly to Cam Reddish, uh, given that, and that he's you know happy as a pig in shit uh, since they traded for Josh Hart. But um, Mark Mark Berman told me over the summer that Tibbs just straight up does not like. Cam Reddish and yeah I remember and, he was on draft he was on the draft class with you right yeah and, and Mark literally he goes yeah Tim's Tom does not like Cam and, and it, it's never about Tom thinks Cam is a bad person Tom doesn't wish Cam success elsewhere Tom just wants Cam to be someone else's deal because he sees him as a deal he sees him as a burden he sees him as time that he needs to invest that he will not get return on because Tibbs is enamored with tangible production and Reddish gave him that sporadically, not good enough. Fred Katz asked Tom Thibodeau who the Knicks would target with their roster spots. Now, that's an odd question to ask a head coach, but as you know, Tibbs is kind of the Knicks shield for that stuff. So he fields, yeah, yeah. He fields, he fields all those questions. Um, and so I think it's fine to ask that question to Thibodeau. And Fred asked Thibodeau that question, and he was like, uh, good ones. You know, I have a bias towards good players. Yeah. Whole room laughed. Everyone loved it. But like, that's Tom. He's he's joking, but he's never really joking. Well, there's if, a kernel you, of truth to every joke, right? If you notice, that's a weird way to say that there's truth to there, there's truth to every good joke. Where the kernel? Jeez, dude. You said there's a kernel of truth to every joke. That's yeah. Tom, oh, here. you said kernel? Yeah. What did you think I said? I heard kernel. No, I was like, I a kernel of truth. I was like, what are you, fermenting truth? What the, <laughs> what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> That's going to be Trump's new wine. <laughs> We're going to ferment the truth. All right, so listen. Um, basically, you take a look at every joke that Tom makes, and it, they're all... Like, he's being dead serious. Like, hey, Jericho's in the dunk contest. You know, you think he's going to win it? He better win it. <laughs> like yeah no right, yeah, that was funny he's being honest <laughs> like yeah. like um tom will always either not answer you or tell the truth he will never answer you with a bold-faced lie and if he does do that he's really obvious and it's not so bold-faced it's like hey i'm lying right now it's like <laughs> it's kind of, if you if you're in the room if you like talk to tibbs you can kind of tell like when he's like this is the coach speak you can also tell when he leans forward a bit, when his head turns, when he starts using his hands to speak more than just at the end of every sentence. He's kind of into your question, and he's kind of into learning out with you about what you're asking about. Um, but then he snaps back into reality, and he like will call you a nerd for asking the question or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> you know, like he's he's funny. People like the environment in there. Um, with him when he's down sitting down at the podium fielding questions like Thibodeau is honest and and, and uh I just think that you know the that you know I said he doesn't do bold face lies he he does lie all the time all 30 NBA coaches and, and all, all 30 NBA head coaches lie at the podium part of um, your job is to lie yeah but but I think he's really honest about when he lies like I think he's transparent about sounding like himself versus you know script like it's just a. I'm I'm interested to continue to ask him about Hart, um, because he loves him and waxing poetic about him. 
Uh, I asked him about Hart a couple months ago when he had a career-high 19 rebounds at the Garden. Um, so and he was like, yeah, he's the best rebounding guard in the league probably. And Tom Thibodeau never does absolutes because they get people in trouble. Um, he was asked yesterday if he thought the Knicks were the best offensive rebounding team in the league, not that they have Josh Hart. He was like, he 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 was like, uh, he thought about it and he goes, We're certainly in the threshold. <laughs> like, like, like he goes, he was, you know, like he'll never do an absolute. He'll never say they're the best or anything. And this guy played for another team. And Tom was like, This is the best rebounding guard in the NBA. So it's no surprise that the Knicks trade for him. Uh, because Leon Rose is the president. But it's also no surprise that the Knicks trade for him because Tom Thibodeau is the coach. They love each other. Hart has spoken on a podcast, I believe, The Old Man of the Three, with Kyle Lowry. Uh, he was on Red X Pod yeah, um, yeah. With, with Lowry about how much he likes Thibodeau. Um, but that's who Hart is. Hart is a millennial. He is a... You know, like him and Brunson, like they go get their Duncan together or whatever. Like they're like buddies, you know, like they 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 were college kids. They, they, they That's the context of their relationship. But Hart is that guy. Brunson is that guy. These guys are very much like basketball frat bros in that way. Like you hear Brunson talk. I'm from New Jersey. He sounds like a Jersey hoop bro. Like that's like. They are very chill. They're very laid back. Like, they're not crazy out. When I say frat, I don't mean party. I mean, like, they just kind of hang together. Like, they're not out partying. They, you know, like, they, they're very calm, very collected guys. But on the court, they love being pushed, and they love the fire. Uh, and, and that's what Thibodeau can, can bring. So Hart really loves that. Um, Yeah, he does bring that competitive fire. I do think that that's a big bonus uh, to getting him and you're right like Tibbs is for better or worse he wants to like the reddish thing was always a struggle for him probably because he's like no I want to win ball games and you're telling me to develop this kid who's not going to help me win ball games right now to potentially help me win ball games two two years from now right like I don't have that time to invest in him and quite frankly if I do invest in him to that degree. Like it takes away opportunities for other guys who I think are better right now. So like, it's a, every team, this is not just the Knicks. This is every team, every fucking team. There will always be guys that slip through the cracks because you just can't optimize, maximize, develop everybody. It's not possible. It really isn't. Um, and the Knicks fuck up was probably adding a development project like Cam into the mix when their priorities were not necessarily aligned with what Cam probably needs to potentially become the player he can be. Um, they didn't they weren't trying to just have a development year, right? They want to win ball games. So you can develop players while you're trying to win ball games, but those players need to be serviceable in that endeavor. And Cam for long parts of his tenure in New York wasn't. That's not to say he never provided value. He did, obviously, to start this year. We all saw it. When he started for a while, he did things that were really good. I mean, his scoring, his slashing, he had the most efficient kind of stretch of his career in New York. So I don't think the Knicks necessarily struggled to use him. I also don't think Cam wanted the role they were willing to give him. That's part of the problem. Like, And, and that's on the organization as much as it is on Cam, because when you trade for a guy, you have to know what he's expecting, what he wants, right? Like, and and that's why I think the the Josh Hart move is so interesting because that 
feels like a move where you're seeing an organization that's way more aligned and you know the front office wants him for xyz reasons tibbs is on board with having him obviously he's got connections with players in the team in the form of brunson and randall like it all it, it makes sense right it makes sense the reddish one was not that and it worked out the way it did and like where I ended up on it was just that, hey, look, whatever I think about him, you know, is he good? Is he bad? Is he worthwhile investing in? Whatever the fuck it is. Like, if he was not happy with the role that was on offer, which was effectively being the backup wing on, off the bench, and I, I don't think he was happy about it. Um, like, if he's not willing to play that role, then it's okay to just move on. And like, the mistake was already made, right? You already made the mistake when you traded for him without really having a, a good plan for it. The The dumb thing to do would be like, we have to justify this mistake, right? Bite the bullet, move on, and give Cam another shot somewhere else. And you know what? Good for Cam. He's got a shot now in Portland. Hopefully he does well there. I, I don't really have any animosity towards him because look, he, he didn't say or do anything in his time in New York that requires any animosity like he he shut the fuck up when he was sitting on the bench he never said anything um and now he's gone and it's a it's a weird thing how it all played out is it i think the front office deserves blame i think Tibbs deserves blame i think cam himself uh probably deserves some blame we'll probably get the full story at some point um but like yeah i mean look he's in portland now hopefully he does well i don't really care doesn't bother me i'm happy we got josh hart and I'm happy that this team is doing well. And, like, you know, for the people that are like, oh, my God, this just shows that the Knicks can't develop young talent. They don't play young players. They don't give these guys opportunities. Like, I mean, just say you're not watching the Knicks this year. That, that's what, like, that's just what it is. Like, if, if you believe that, you're just not watching the Knicks this year. And, um, you know, related to Cam Reddish and actually related to R.J. Barrett is, like, like I see people are like, we should bench Quentin Grimes right now. He should move to the bench because he's struggling. And I'm like, I don't want to move to the bench. This is this is where you develop. This is part of it. Like he's struggling right now. Good. Let him figure it out. Let him fucking find out. Like he he's got to get over it. I I think this is like good development for him. And you know what? I didn't think yesterday he had a very good defensive game. But most of the time, even when he's struggling offensively, that's a guy that's not going to hurt you because he can defend at a high high level. We've seen him do a great job on on multiple scores this year. Um, I mean, Donovan Mitchell probably has nightmares of this guy at this point. And um, yeah, like, like, this is part of it. This is all part of the development of players. And like, different players need different things, right? I think Cam, personally, this is just me, I actually think the role that the Knicks were giving him is exactly what he needs. That doesn't mean that that should always be his role. But I think for right now, less was more for him. Do less. Focus on these three to four, five things we want from you consistently every night. And then from there, yeah, then you can start adding your tween as Paul George wannabe bullshit. That's fine. But you got to establish yourself at a level right now. And, like, we see this with quickly, right? Quickly, not, not, not to cut you off, but that's yeah. that's the issue with Obi for the team. So if you ask me, um, you know, Thibodeau, the coaching staff, they think that when it comes to the little things um, – I, I, I'm not trying to put words in anyone's mouth. Like I think they see Toppin as a bit of like an anti-heart in that like 
he's not good for the margin plays or the offensive boards or the steals or the hustle. They want him to be a, they want him to be a glue guy. And they want him not, to be Jay Crowder. Yeah, that's not what he is. It's just a misuse of him. They, and like they, that 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 to me is different from the Redders thing because like that is a failure of the coaching staff entirely. I don't care like the org- like you can tell me the front office shouldn't have picked him and whatever. Look, let's be real. The, the front office did not anticipate Julius Randle morphing into whatever the fuck he's become, all-star, all-NBA, whatever. They picked a guy they like, his talent. He's an offensive, he could potentially be an offensive hub type thing, whatever. They've gone so far away from that, and it's it's like more stark than it was last year. I, I feel like he was way, first two years, he was, I feel like he was way more involved. It made you know. sense last year. Yeah, and last this year, it's just like, I'm like, dude, you're right. Like, they literally are just like, Stand in the corner, stand like space the floor. So I've I've always said that he's asked to be Nick Batum, but I think that that's like not actually accurate. That that was just a name to to make a point. I think like you know, <laughs> pick a pick a, a a four or five tweener that just sits in the corner. Like they they would like him to be Vanderbilt. They would like him to be. Covington from a couple years ago or like offensively like they want a guy who can hit the corner threes and they know he's a connector and Berman spoke to Thibodeau understanding the value of Toppin's uh, on court motor um, but they, they think he's a weak rebounder and and uh, you know there's other things as well obviously but the rebounding is the one thing I've really heard about the most um, you know from people uh, involved in, in regards to like what is it that he doesn't do that would result in more minutes if he were better at it? And it's uh, the defense and the rebounding goes off a cliff when he's on the floor and Randall isn't. The re- the rebounding is just also not accurate. Is the the team basically has rebounded at roughly the same clip, slightly worse the last two years that he's been on the floor. Sorry, go ahead. That's so. That's that's the that's the view. That's the explanation. He's a weak. He's a weak rebounder. Yeah, I mean, and and honestly, look, like, I don't care what anybody says. It's very obvious to me that everything that Berman says is literally whispered in his ear by Tibbs. Um, I thought it was a fucking joke what he tweeted out after the trade deadline about Wes. You know, the only reason he's here is because Wes wants him here, not because it's not necessarily true, but like, why are you as a coach allowing this information to come out there? Why would you say that? Like, and, and you know, like. I I don't have a problem with Tibbs benching Cam Reddish at all. I have a problem with he was asked about Reddish I think uh, at, before the Philly game, and he said something like, "Oh well, you know, Cam just wasn't consistent here, and that's why it didn't work out." And it's like, you I don't he's not wrong, but why are you saying that, dude? What is the upside of that? What is the point of fucking saying anything that can be interpreted as a criticism criticism of a player once they're out the door? Just fucking you can say. You can just say, "Hey, you know, Cam. We Cam's a really good guy, good player. Um, you know, it's just kind of a tough situation here. You don't need to even answer the question, right? You can just say bullshit and and get away with it." I the Ob stuff. Look, last year you called the guy backup. You know, the backup quarterback comes in and you see why he's the backup. And like he's done this shit repeatedly with him, and I just find it disgraceful to be honest. I, I think it's wrong, and it's not like this is not me saying, "Oh." He like it's wrong that Randall is playing over him because right now, last year I think that was actually ridiculous. This year, no question, Julius is playing great. He's playing great, so of course that's going to impact 
Obi's minutes, you know? Um, that's fine. But, like, there's just been no attempt to even see what he can do in a different role, in a different capacity, in different lineups. Um, even when he's playing well, he doesn't get minutes. Like, it's it's a joke. And, and honestly, it's the most disgraceful thing Tibbs has done um, in his time here. Uh, maybe, like, maybe the only other thing that's comparable was having to witness Alfred Payton start an entire fucking year at point guard, right? Or Alec Burke starting over quickly at the end of last year. Tibbs just decides what players are and what they're capable of and oftentimes puts them in boxes and doesn't want to see what they can do if you, you know, break the box a little bit. You know, and and quickly was, uh, look, quite honestly, I don't, I think Tibbs has always liked quickly. But I don't think he appreciated how good quickly was until now. Like, I don't think he viewed quickly as the type of defensive player he's become. I don't think he viewed quickly uh, as a guy that could score the way he's scoring now, not just from three, but like inside the arc. I mean, he's at, well, like 51 and a half from two this year, which is a crazy jump. But like, now that he's done it, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, now I love him again. And, and now I can use him in all these different ways. But like, he wasn't a point guard to him, right? He wasn't any, he was just a nice combo guard off the bench for him. And, and so like with these young guys, like if he, if he sees you a certain way, it's very hard to break that. Um, like he sees Grimes as a starting three and D player, right? What do you think it would take for Grimes to actually get opportunities to create a ball? I'm not saying he needs them right now. I, I, I do think he could probably do a, a bit more than he, he does, but like it's the type of thing where it's like, it's going to take some real significant progression from Grimes in his skill set for him to ever even get that opportunity. And it took quick, like what, two and a half years to kind of establish himself as, to me, like a key part of this team that's seen as more than just like a nice bench player, you know? Um, and, and, you know, I know there will be people that defend Tibbs and think that's wrong and I'm putting words in his mouth and assigning all... I don't really care. Um, I, I think his actions speak volumes. And to bring it back to Toppin, like, yeah, man, like, I agree. Toppin's not going to be some hustle player who's going to win a bunch of 50-50 balls and dive on the floor all over the place. And he's not, but like, that's not what he is. You have to, like, you, like, players, you're, as a coach, what you're given, like, you, the players you have, you have to make the most of that opportunity. And I think with Reddish, I could under, I'm a little bit more sympathetic to like why he was unwilling to give him those opportunities and why he's not willing. You know, I, I get that. And I'm actually kind of like, I don't want to say I'm tip side there, but like, I'm at least, I don't, I, I don't, I'll never really rip him for that. I think it's whatever. The opiate thing though, is just so fucking disgraceful to me. And, um, you know, he, when he did this fucking entire, you know, Berman did this entire summer tour of like the Knicks pods, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, Tibbs loves Obi now. He's one of his guys now, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, man, I don't know how you could be even more full of shit than you already were, but somehow he pulled it off. Like, look, again, actions speak louder than words. Even when Obi's shooting well, playing well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't give him an extended run. So it is what it is at this point. I'm happy we kept him through the deadline because I just think we need, we can't be losing rotation pieces given the, you know, how threadbare the, the the bench has been at times this year but like i think he'll be moved this in the summer because there's just no opportunity for him under this head coach and if they're going to keep this head coach then what the fuck then 
you you have to move him. So it is what it is. I I think Obi will go somewhere. Like if you, don't let him get to a team that runs. I'll tell you that a team that runs and moves the ball, he'll he'll do really well there. Well, I've, um, I've always said Golden State should have taken him number two over Wiseman, and I was called all sorts of names. But now that looks a little less silly since it seems they traded Wiseman for a CVS receipt worth of fake medical problems <laughs> or whatever, whatever, whatever the hell happened there. Um, sorry, Ricky G. Uh, you know, big loss for him. James Wiseman off the team. Uh, the, the great Ricky G. But um, to, to me, I just think that this is so corny if I like don't explain it. So I got to like really think about how I say this. But like to me, the path has always been very clear for this Knicks team. They're just far and all far enough along it now that people are able to kind of figure it out I, that who weren't earlier. I, I think you have smart people um, like Jeremy Cohen who literally predict or like will accidentally dream of the Knicks making a trade. And then it happens in real life that like, that's not a coincidence. It's uh, like Jeremy's a genius. These people who figure this stuff out really, no one does it like Jeremy. So I could just talk about him, right? Jeremy's a genius, but Jeremy's okay, a let's, genius. Let's, let's calm down. Jeremy's okay. Right. Jer- Jeremy's <laughs> a genius because he is willing to take what is available and find out the most about it and make it make fucking sense. Right? Like Jeremy isn't when he looks at 2023 free agents and is like, who will the Knicks target? Like that's not, he's not curing some terminal disease. Like you don't need eight years of certification for that. I think you do need 10 years of CBA training to become as good with it as Jeremy is. But what I'm saying is there's like, Jeremy didn't get a secret key to find out from Leon Rose himself behind the scenes, what the plan was. He's just really smart and he sits the hell down and he figures it the hell out. Like this plan has been able to be figured out by some very smart Brock Aller like person who can crack the code. Um, I just think that like Jeremy talked about OG Ananobi to me, probably being someone that the Knicks would target. Because it made like too much sense. And I went and dug around on it. And guess what? I was the first to report a bunch of stuff about Ananobi because Jeremy made me go dig about it. Like that is how smart Jeremy is. He literally beats reports, right? Like with his own guesses. But he just he t- does that with information that's out there. Like he, he just uses it. Well, I think the Knicks front office plan and he uses it better than anyone else. I think the Knicks front office's plan can be figured out. I don't think it's some impossible hieroglyphic cipher that you have to crack and get a translator and have like, just have someone who fucking understands the CBA sit down with you and talk about like the Knicks. Like I th- it's pretty straightforward. Not in regards to the exact players, in regards to like the timeline of when they want to be good. Jeremy has said this a million times. He's pointed out the 2024 offseason as that time. Um, yeah, like I, I just think it all adds up. I think it all makes sense. More dots are being added. So as we connect them, we're getting more of a full picture. But I think all the hypothetical dots were there from the start. And 
Yeah. Yeah. And look, it's again, like, like we've talked about with Reddish, right? Like you're not going to nail every, this is the thing, right? No front office nails every decision, not a single one. There's, it's not possible. And so you're going to fuck some shit up and have they fucked some shit up? Yeah, they have fucked some shit up, but on aggregate, you look at where they are versus where they were two years ago. You've got an all-star all NBA caliber at times power forward. And obviously they didn't, they didn't sign him, but they did choose to keep him and then extend him and 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 really like what in a in the midst of what was truly like an atrocious year last season and not just his level of play, but obviously all the other shit that we if saw. Social media was around. Coughlin would have gotten fired after year one, and Eli would have had a new head coach. I always right. say that. I always say I do think that. When everyone is saying to fire someone and it doesn't happen or trade someone and it doesn't happen, if the team couldn't trade them and that's why they weren't traded, that's one thing. If the team was actively like, we believe in this player, watch him bounce back, that's ballsy. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I, and that's, yeah. And like, I just think they deserve, like, they, then, you know, they've signed an all star guard, all star caliber guard anyway. Uh, in his prime, age 26. And yeah, you can tell me that it's because, you know, of all the connections they obviously already had with him. But like, isn't that the point? Like, that's that's the point, right? You you can't be like, well, I thought Leon was going to use his connections to get guys. And then when he uses them, be like, well, he just because he's, you know, his godfather. It's like, yeah, that's the fucking point. Um, you know, they've drafted pretty well. Like, Emmanuel Quickly is a guy they drafted. Quentin Grimes, the guy they've drafted. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, they chose to keep him, extend him. RJ Barrett chose to keep him, extend him. I mean, RJ is probably like the one that right now is the most like, are we sure he's that was a good choice yet or not? But we'll see. Like, I think if anything, we should look at the Randall situation last year, how and I, I'm trying to 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 apply this because I was vocal about being like, get Randall the fuck out of here. Like, this is just awful. Um, you know, he's not going to turn around. Obviously, he's made me look like a fucking idiot, which isn't that hard. But um, like, that's what I'm I think with RJ, like. Let's see how it plays out. Let's see if they can make the right, if they come to the right conclusion, if the patience pays out. And, um, you know, like they've slowly, methodically improved the team. And now they're at a point where, like, you know, I was against training for Donovan Mitchell in the summer, but, you know, if a star comes available now, I'd be a lot more open to it because I think the team is now actually in a position to do it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, the OB thing is it is what it is. If they can use him to upgrade, I'm okay with that. I actually was watching the Kings uh, Mavericks game yesterday, and I was thinking about, hey, what if they traded OB for a draft pick and then they signed Trey Lyles for an MLE? How would that play out? Like that would be you, an interesting move. You you were thinking about that? Yes, I was actually. Me and uh, me and Mister Zach talked about it. Oh, oh, okay. And I and I and I making be- sure just making sure you admitted that the first good idea you had in like eight years wasn't yours that's not the first good idea i've had in eight years um no well, but it was should i have said the only no 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 <laughs> uh but like i mean is that something that you would do i don't know i mean yeah like, yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's I, at least I, a thought it's it's very much in the, the the strain of deuce mcbride is not playing anymore and everyone's okay with it that's what I think you need to look at is the Nick fans are okay. A, a lot of media, we look at the Nick fans as a, we, we really try to get a pulse, right? Like 
I come on to Strickland. I follow you guys. I follow Nick fan content creators from all different kind of self-created networks and, and private, you know, net like I just want to know what people are thinking so I can best tweet and cover the team. You know, I, I can say truthfully, you know, the fans have been frustrated with this player recently. He really needed this 25 point performance. And I think keeping the pulse is good. Um, for me, it's like with this fan base, I don't see outrage that McBride's out of the rotation seemingly for Josh Hart. And you know what else I didn't see? Outrage that Quentin Grimes didn't close last night because Josh Hart did. And so I think there's a fine line, and I think two things can be true. One, there's a there is a tightrope to tiptoe in regards to how much do you play Hart slash how many minutes do you take away from Grimes slash quickly or RJ slash Barrett slash who do you close with two out of the four slash all that. But these are like these are champagne problems, right? right? Like these and are then, good so problems. That that can be true. The other thing that can be true is. I do think this team knows how to toe that line. I think they're going to. Do- this is the situation where I'm like, Tibbs wants to win. He's going to do what's best for the team because we've seen him bench Barrett in crunch time for quickly. Did you? If I told you, if I told you last year, no, I wouldn't have believed it. You would. I mean, you, I mean, even you yesterday, asked me for the ayahuasca that I like. I, I just, thought yesterday he made a big call. Taking quickly out and bringing Barrett in when he and leaving Barrett in and bring and closing with Hart and Barrett. Like I thought. So do you see how a, it goes a, either yeah. way? It yeah. goes either way, and that's why I, I asked Thibodeau about it when he first when he first left quickly in for Barrett. Something told me that was a trend that was forming because when Tom Thibodeau does something, he's usually comfortable doing it again. Does that make sense? He'll never do something until he's yeah. ready to implement it. Other other than like playing he does, Cam, other than like playing Cam Reddish and. He and won't playing he, Obi and, and Randall together. Things he's tried, but then he was just like, "Fuck it, no, I'm not doing that again." <laughs> but he tr- he he tried them. He tried he did, them, he did. and he didn't like what he saw, so he stopped. <laughs> you know, I think that um, he th- th- he a lot of people write things off as, "Oh, well, he wants to win." Yes, Thibodeau wants to win every game he goes to work for. The thing is that so does everyone else, and and, and you really look at it. Um, I think this is a scenario where you, you could say, hey, he's going to do what's best. Uh, I, I think, you know, these guys will come in for each other, stay out for each other, whatever it is. It's going to add up. And that's why I asked him. I said, hey, was, was this uh, was this a one-time thing? Was not the way to ask it, in my opinion. Because that would set him up to be like, no, it's not, because we're going to see what happens. It's like, all right, thanks. We'll see what happens. So I asked him. I was like, hey, is this something – you're going to do going forward, you know, or rather I was like, is it, like, isn't it great to have a manual as a six starter? Like whatever it was that I said, I framed it in a way where he was comfortable talking about quickly as opposed to Barrett. Um, Cause it's awkward to talk about Barrett when he's benched like that. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big call. He's the third overall pick. He got extended this summer. It's a, it's a big call. It's not like a, that's not but, like benching. Like you can just, put quickly on the bench and it's not like a big talking point. Thibodeau also just like has the freedom to make these decisions like he's allowed to do this stuff yeah and, he, and that's how it should be like you should want your coach to coach you should he should be empowered to make whatever decisions he thinks are appropriate when he's making stupid decisions you should be able to tell him and it seems like that's where they've landed at least this year so um yeah I mean look like again the OB thing is 
we'll sit here forever and people will be like, whoa, it was the eighth overall pick. They fucked it up. At some point, like, look, like the, like the Warriors, right? They're going to get killed for this fucking Wiseman thing forever. Like, they took Wiseman second. They traded him for Gary Payne the second, who is apparently injured forever. Like, who knows, right? But at some point, you can't keep... This is why I, I commend them for what they did with Reddish, where it's like, you can't keep trying to justify a past decision at a certain point. You have to just accept the reality and move on. And, like, the reality of the situation is Julius Randle's playing at a level where your backup four is just going to be a limited minutes player. And even if I think Tibbs is doing a disservice to Obi and that I think and and that he could easily get him to 20 minutes a game if he really would be a little bit more flexible. Um the reality is that's a backup role. It's a backup spot. You can't like you you can find a good quality backup um on the market. And 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 to Obi and for Obi like Danny Green to the Cavs. No. Break breaking. That's a good pickup, actually. Um, that back home where it all started for him. Uh, but I wouldn't know. I, yeah. I had no idea he ever played. For, I thought he. I, I, if you asked me, I would have been like, "Yeah, he was always with the Spurs." Yeah, <laughs> no, he, he that, that's when I started watching. It was like 2012. Yeah, even though he was dancing on the bench with LeBron back in the day. Um, but like, wow, respect. Yeah, but like, yeah, you just the Obi thing is just frustrating because he, you know, obviously, I think. We both agree he hasn't gotten a fair shake from from Tibbs, but like that's the reality. If you're the front office and Tibbs is your guy, like that's not going to change. So move the fuck on. Like it, it is what it is. And like I, again, I was fine with them not trading him at the deadline because I didn't think they could use him in a trade <coughs> that would return a four. Like they wouldn't get the value in terms of picks or in terms of a player that could fill that void in the rotation but like in the offseason it's a lot more feasible and if that's the way they go yeah i mean i won't like it but it's probably the right decision at this point right so um all right look i think we've gone for two hours here it's pretty good place to end it uh before we get out of here i guess uh real quick what do you think the knicks the knicks finishes the top six seed or no yes they will um, coming into the season, I viewed them as a team that was a lock to land a play in seeding. That means the seventh or eighth seed, um, because if you're a lock to get in there, you're probably not going to be the ninth or tenth, right? So I, I, told, I said they'd be a, close to a playoff team, but just outside of one, uh, due to the fact that teams like Cleveland got better over the offseason. Uh, what I did not see coming was Brooklyn getting worse. And so when you see that team switch up a little bit, I think the Heat can jump them in the standings. I think we can get that spot underneath. So if it's, or sorry, I think the I think um, I misspoke. If if the the Bucks, the Bucks, Sixers, and uh, Celtics are the top three, Cleveland four, Miami five, New York six. I think that would be you know I think the Knicks fans would be happy with that. I think. Uh, you know, as an analyst, I think six seed probably going up against one of those upper weight teams uh, would be certainly interesting. Um, but if they can catch Cleveland or Miami in that first round, I really like their shot. Yeah, I think uh, I think they get the six, but we'll see. Brooklyn's weird because like their team is just odd now. 
but it's not actually bad. Like it's I, not. I love it, and everyone hates that I love it because I know that my follower base is very Nick based. Um, but they're gonna have to deal with it because that team is fun. That team is a nerd's dream, and sometimes it's fun to exit real life and just be like, let's nerd out for a little bit on something like Star Wars or like Game of Thrones or like well, the, D- DFS Cam Johnson and Macal Bridges. So. They're, well, they're, they're also like they're up already in the standings. I just don't think they're that team is just not gonna like suck. That's the main thing. Is like they're just have too many. Good they will not. That, yeah, they won't suck. So, like, they're probably going to be okay. Um, but I mean, look, they clearly fucked up in a lot of ways. Anyway, all right, let's get at it. Let's let's close. What do you up. What uh, do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah, just, <laughs> so, yeah. what kind I, of think, are you I, I think about? that as someone who covers New York basketball for WFUV Sports, always talking about the Nets on our basketball podcast for the station, Pick and Pod, um, I really have a good pulse on the Nets. Their their fan base, uh, like, really good and. Every week I follow and cover the Nets. And, you know, I don't do it on my timeline because nobody that follows me would enjoy that um, or want it. But I do it for WFUV on the show every week. And and I think that this is a real shocker to me. I cannot believe we are here. I cannot believe that once everything got rolling, this happened. I, I am in disbelief. I will see Kyrie Irving play more times in white and blue, and I will be very thrown off by it and i will see kevin durant suit up in purple orange and black and just not believe it and 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 i don't not it's because of how it went down i just can't believe the shoes fell so fast yeah yeah it's pretty amazing all right get us out of here all right uh chris let's move on where they can find you and uh plug anything that you'd like to plug twitter.com slash that um the, the jumble of vowels that make up my last name. Uh, <laughs> have fun typing that in. Uh, but go throw me a follow. I beat report on the Knicks. I analyze them as well when games I'm not beat reporting. And uh, I also broadcast college basketball, um, analyze the NBA as a whole. Lots of fun basketball, smart basketball talk, I like to think, over on my page. Um, if not smart, at least educated, you know, maybe I'm going somewhere stupid, but I started somewhere smart. Uh, <laughs> and if you, if you, if you want to go check that out, I appreciate you supporting my journey into sports media. So go throw me a follow at Chris Percy Einan on Twitter. Um, and go chiefs today. I I lose either way in this game. So, uh, all right. Ian, Ian Begley asked Jalen at the end of his presser. He said, "How much do you have KC by tomorrow?" And Jalen just looked at him with this fucking like <laughs> Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it was like a, I'm I'm comfortable with this guy because I've seen him all year. But that's like not funny. Like I'll hurt you. Like, like <laughs> you know, like, like, <laughs> like I'll really slap you. Don't joke about my. Like, you know, like, yeah. Uh, all right, I have nothing to plug other than uh, all the work in the Strickland. Check out all the pods, all of the, uh, the writing, all of everything we do. Uh, check out the rundown that comes out after every game uh, with Sam and Tyrese and Jeff. They do a great job. Um, yeah, and give Chris a follow if you're not already following him. All right, that is our show for today. I hope everybody has a great Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, you will be listening to this after after the Super Bowl. Uh, but uh, if you bet on it, hopefully, you know, good luck. Uh, all right, that's our pop for today. 
Hope everybody has a great night, and I will see you on Friday.